Well, I don't know about you, but in many ways it's quite easy, or feels quite easy, to be a Christian on a Sunday uh, at church. It's easy to smile and to sing enthusiastically and to feel very positive about our relationship with God um, as we're with like-minded people. Uh, how much harder uh, when we are in a more hostile environment during the week, be that, uh, be that we're at school, or be that we're at home, or be that if we're at work. I think we all know that it's easy to feel really positive. I'm going to have this great week that everything's going to go fine, and actually when we hit reality, then it's very easy for us to succumb to the temptation of the devil. One of the striking things about Jesus as he faces the devil's temptation is that he is in a very hostile environment in the wilderness. We're told that he fasted and was weak, and yet he remained faithful and obedient to his father. So as Steve said, today we're beginning a new series in Luke's Gospel. The last time we looked at Luke's Gospel, we were looking at those early chapters that tell us about Jesus' birth and his early childhood. And now we're going to be looking over the next few weeks at the early parts of Jesus' ministry. What he did, if you like, as he grew up, God with us. What did he do? Well, let's come to the beginning of Luke's Gospel. Let's back a couple of pages to Luke chapter 1. And uh, so keep a finger up in page 1,000, but it come back to Luke chapter 1, page 1,024. 1,024. Let's just remind ourselves, Luke tells us what he is trying to do, what his purpose is in writing this account. Let me read from the beginning. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I too decided to write an ordinary account for you, most excellent the office, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. And he says that Peter's then carefully investigated everything from the beginning. He's gone and talked to these eyewitnesses. He's gone to see them where they are to find out what happened, what really happened. And then he's written down an orderly account. So Theophilus, and I guess we who are looking over Theophilus' shoulders and reading the Gospel of him, so we may know the certainty of the things we have been taught. It seems like he's writing to Christians, and it's keen that they can be certain and sure about what they have been taught about Jesus, and what they have been taught about his great salvation. That is Luke's point. So as we read the Gospel, we study it over the next few weeks, I hope that we'll be able to understand what it means to be a Christian person. And we will be surer and uh, more certain about who Jesus is, about his great salvation, about the forgiveness that he brings. If um, you go to this question, shoot, the first this question is why did Luke write his gospel? Why did Luke write his gospel? And so Luke begins his account with the birth of Jesus. And really, it's interesting, I guess Jesus, that's the obvious, is a baby. So he doesn't say much or do much, but we get a lot of statements about who he is from angels and from people inspired by the Holy Spirit, about who he is, about what he has come to do, about this great salvation and the judgment that God is going to bring through Jesus Christ. And one of the early things we pick up about who Jesus is, we think about these, well, really, the other thing here is that he is 
the Son of God. So when Mary appears, when Angel appears to Mary, he talks about Jesus being the Son of the Most High, or the Son of God. And then we get this uh, little cameo of Jesus as a 12 year old in the temple. And he's very conscious of his relationship with his father. And so his parents say, you know, what, what, why, what are you doing? He says, well, you might be in the temple because I must be in my father's house. He's very aware that he is his son. And then at the baptism, uh, I over a couple of pages, to page 1029. <laughs> The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove. A voice came from heaven, God's voice, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Here's God's declaration that Jesus really is His Son. So all through the Holy Count, that emphasis is. We want us to know what's so certain that Jesus is God's Son. So, second, this question what does Luke's Gospel say? Who does Luke's Gospel say Jesus is? Who does Luke's Gospel say Jesus is? And so we come to the beginning of chapter 4 and uh, the passage that Simon read. And so, what's Jesus sets out? He's looking in the shadows at this point, anyway, because it's reading what people would say about him rather than what he's been doing himself. But now, for the first time, he comes. And we are focused on him and what he is doing. He takes centre stage. And the theme of the Son of God continues. And his first action is to be led into the wilderness. Chapter 4 and verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan where he baptized and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So twice the Holy Spirit is mentioned, the exorcist. This a confrontation with the devil is part of God's plans, led by the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not a mistake. And we're told, verse 2, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. It's not that he had eaten 40 days, he would be very weak and hungry at the end of that. At the beginning of uh, Easy, maybe to be a Christian when things are going well and you're strong. But when we're weak and uh, facing difficulties and hardships, it's much, much harder. And yet, here is Jesus wonderfully, even though he's been, uh, yeah, he must have been feeling weak and hungry, yet he maintains this relationship with the Father. So, here we see, here we get to see what Jesus is like when he's under pressure, if you like. What does it really mean to be the Son of God? What is it like? When he's under pressure, what is his relationship with the Father really like? As we go into the Cats of Temptation, he sets up two deliberate contrasts. So I guess he wants to see what Jesus' relationship with God is like, but also what our relationship with God is like. So there are two uh, contrasts being made. The first one is with Adam. Look with me at the last verse of chapter 3. Look at the last verse of chapter 3. How does Adam describe the last verse of chapter 3? So I think you answer that. How does Adam describe? Describe the Son of God. Okay, so the genealogy, which comes to an end, the Son of Adam, and 
Here's Adam. Adam is the son of God. And then you miss it. The language is being tempted by the devil. And I mean, you'll, you'll sort of mind this back to uh, the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve are tempted by the devil. So that's the first one. So Jesus did a contract with Jesus and Adam and Eve is being drawn. And then, um, sorry, third case question is, who else is called the son of God? Who else is called the son of God? And then there's also a contrast between Jesus and the people of Israel, between Jesus on one hand and the people of Israel. So they too uh, spent 40 years in the world. Actually, they too are called the Son of God in Exodus chapter 4. Um, they spent 40 years there. And their time too is described as a time of testing and trial. So two contrasts being drawn, one between Jesus and Adam and Eve, and one between Jesus and Israel. Us to see how great Jesus is, how great his resistance is, because we see how quickly we play. And I hope that that will be a great encouragement to us to rejoice in Jesus, to praise him, and to look for him in his greatness and salvation. Well, let's just work through um, the three temptations. So the first one is man shall live. Right, the verse 3, Jesus 3, he has eaten for 40 days, and there was testament in verse 3. If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. That seems to be a reasonable request. Jesus is hungry. Good Jesus, you can make uh, this stone bread, but you're the son of God, and I judge you. Well, how does Jesus respond? Man shall live on bread. Like, essentially, you do show the Old Testament, it's on to say, but by every word that comes in the mouth of God, we live by God's word. Jesus knows that his Father's way is best. Jesus knows that he wants to live by God's word, not just to satisfy uh, his creature comforts. And so he, he doesn't think that following Satan's suggestion is a good idea. He's going to trust God, he's going to trust his word, even in the short run. If that is painful and difficult. And again, so I'm just thinking about the contrast between drawn between Jesus, who has this blood flesh of the Father, is willing to resist the devil's temptations, and Adam and Eve. Because Adam and Eve, as they are tempted to eat something they're told not to eat. That's to eat the fruit from the garden, uh, fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Israelites in the wilderness again it's often over a matter of food and whether God has given them enough food that they grumble and complain. It's interesting that Jesus in his um, answers, if you look down the footnotes, he's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. Now, the book of Deuteronomy is a great book where um, God reflected on the time that they spent in the wilderness and how they, well, the lessons they should have learned from that in order to go forward from that. So he's saying, I know those lessons, I know how I meant to live, I know I meant to live by God's word and not uh, just to satisfy my desires. Uh, next case question, what does Jesus live on? What does Jesus live on? And think about Adam and Eve and Israel. It's very easy for us to point the finger at them and see how they can tell It's actually weird, they're different. From Adam and Eve. We often follow the devil's suggestions rather than trusting God's word. We often just want to satisfy our physical needs, our physical desires and comforts rather than trusting and serving God. We've got a small hardship, maybe we're a bit tired and hungry, but there's a good Christian meeting we should be going to encourage people in God's heart. I'll just leave it. But 
Jesus Jerusalem, verse 9, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, you will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands, so you will not strike your foot against the stone. So here is the offer. Look, do this dramatic sign. Look, there's even scripture. He's quite a bit of scripture to you know, boost his case. Maybe he's hoping that if, you know, if Jesus does this dramatic miracle, and everyone will believe in and follow him. Yeah, the, the difference between Jesus and the advice is very stark. It's like completely complaining and demanding that God do things rather than just trusting Him. Come on, God, do this thing. Give us this food. Make life easy for us rather than just trusting Him. So again, we see the contrast between Israel and Jesus. Jesus shows His commitment to the Father and the Father's words. Again, quoting from Deuteronomy, it's a book that Israel should have learned from. It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Final piece of question. What does Jesus not do? What does Jesus not do? The question is, we've got a contrast between Jesus and Adam, Jesus and Israel, Jesus and us. And we all sit, we all about it, it's so easy, so quickly. We put God to the text, we demand things from him, we don't worship him, then the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we need this ministry? Why do we need this ministry? Why do we need this ministry? rescues and saves us. This is perfect. Well, as we read the account of the temptations of Jesus and how Jesus, despite his weakness, resists them, how Jesus shows his complete dedication, devotion to his Father, how wonderful relationship there is between I hope that really encourages us this morning. We believe in here this morning. I hope that really encourages us and strengthens us in our understanding who Jesus is, that he is unique, he is perfect. He has this perfect relationship with his father. Despite that great weakness, despite the fasting, despite the hunger, despite the loneliness and difficulties, despite the pressure from the death, he's totally faithful, totally perfectly obedient to his father. In the way that Adam and Eve was, in the way that these were, in the way that we were. Sometimes that we can see that he's worthy of our praise, he's worthy of our worship, he's worthy of our trust, that he often will bring back great, God's great plan of saving and grace and forgiveness. That he will go through that difficulty of dying, and cross is interesting right at the end. In verse 10, when the devil had finished all that tension, he left him until the opportune time. Since there's a wrestling of Jesus when he gets to the cross. But he will ultimately go to uh, God's cross, Father's cross, to the cross of the So I think that us, I that strengthens us, I think that really um, gives us the desire uh, to keep trusting Jesus, desire to know him better, desire to understand his great and it's not good at something like this now. I don't understand because the rest of the world is just so full of sin, we're so full of rebellion, so quick to please ourselves. And yet here is a unique individual, Lord Jesus Christ, saving and resting to the living dead and Father. Well, the question was to discuss over season topics, how do the temptations help us appreciate Jesus more? But let's just pray now. 